Father, this morning, once again, we come to you before the ministry of the word and we just surrender our bodies, our minds into thy hands. Even our spirit, Lord, for you are spirit, you are truth. We just surrender, Lord. Speak to us. Give us that spirit of wisdom and revelation, the spirit of understanding that we might be able to understand what you are trying to speak to us through the voice of man. The voice of man has only the power to entertain, but your words are words of life. We have come today, not just for knowledge of God, we have come for life, life itself. Speak to us, help us to receive Help us to keep our eyes, our minds focused on you. Help us in our weakness. Help us, help us, Lord, to believe, to obey, to walk. Closer and closer as each day passes by, Lord. Prepare us for the coming of your Son. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We continue to and our meditations from the past weeks to Sundays, remember, we had looked at what God gives man, especially, or rather man alone, in this life. He gives us the will to choose. He says, I said before you, life and death, you choose. This is not a privilege given to the angels. Because once the angels fell, they could not be brought back to repentance because they cannot choose to go back. Animals don't make choices, informed choices. No creature, nothing of creation makes informed choices with the freedom we alone have been given. So sometimes we do not realize. It's a double-edged sword, the choice, freedom to choose that God has given us. But God says, I set before you life and death, blessings and curses, choose life. So whatever choices we make every day, it's either life or death. That's where we saw a few Sundays back, where the will comes into play. We choose ultimately in our will. We make choices one way or other. And people may ask, how how do you, God says, I set before you life and death, choose life. How do I, can you explain to me the process in which I choose life? That's the process. If you look at God's process, one of the processes which God tells over and over in the Bible is God says, meditate. Meditate means to think over and over and over. To Joshua, God says, if you want to be really successful, the way I call success, meditate upon my word day and night. Focus your mind on my word. Meditate. You don't have to meditate from Genesis 1 to Revelation 1. One thought of God each day. Meditate upon it. Constantly you will see through the Bible, from the old to the new, about meditating. Keep your minds focused on that. Why? Because what you speak often is an outflow of what is in your mind, in your heart. Because later in the book of Proverbs, Scripture says, life and death is in the power of the 
It's in the power of the tongue. He says, I set before you life and death. You choose. So we meditate upon things that are of God, which are noble, which are pure, which are holy, which are right, which are true. And then with our tongue, with our words, we actually will end up choosing life and not death. And if you look at it, much of this prayer requests are connected with having chosen death through words and not life. Lord, I'm, I am depressed. I am anxious. I am distressed. And then in that distress, you start saying things like Job. It was better that I was not born. Job said it. What did he choose? He chose death. Okay, so that's why God says choices ultimately will frame us what we make ourselves. So Paul in the most terrible of situations in the prison, lying in, incarcerated for years together, he's able to keep his mind on Christ and not his miserable, terrible condition 2000 years ago in Roman prisons. And he's able to say, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. I will not be dictated by my situations, my circumstances, my feelings. I keep my mind on Christ Jesus and I know one thing, when I open my mouth, I will speak according to what he has put in my heart. So remember, that's how. We also saw that it is good for a young man to bear a yoke in the days of his youth. Okay, Discipline. The yoke, we hate yokes when we are young. None of us liked yokes in our young days. But now that we are older, we love those yokes because we suddenly realize it is very light. The burden is very light because you learned, learned so many things then and now you are able to put it into use without having to discipline yourself in your old age. Somebody else did it for you when you were young. Now when you are young and you refuse to be disciplined in the ways of God, when you are much older and clarity comes, you understand God, you understand the kingdom of God and you understand the purpose of God and you realize, oh Lord, I know it is so true, but I don't have the strength, the discipline to follow it up. That's why it's good for a young man to bear a yoke in the days of his youth. We also saw the difference between work and a job. Everybody wants a job. But God says, work first. Learn to work. Learn to work first. Work and job are not the same. He says, learn to work. Work, work hard. And when we have learned how to work, the way God works, God says, later he will give you a job. And that job, will fulfill his purpose in our lives. So many are not able to fulfill God's purpose in their lives. It's not because they did not have a God-appointed job, but because they never learned to work. David learned to work in his youth. Hard worker he was. Scripture will say he served his generation according to God's purpose and rested with his fathers. Solomon never worked in his youth. He had more power, more wealth, and more wisdom than anybody. So he actually failed in a God-appointed job. Because he had never learned to work. Okay, so in the days of youth, you know, it's just interesting. My sister and I were discussing this on the phone yesterday. And my sister had been listening to those messages and she said, you know what? 
in our days young days we all learn to work so our jobs are very easy now today's generation doesn't know how to work they only know how to work out <laughs> i said that's a good one i will use it tomorrow <laughs> and you realize you can work out in the gym it doesn't help you at your job which is true you still tired because those muscles are not formed out of hard work you go back into the villages and see those laborers who are working in the field have you seen them they can almost without stop except for a few minutes of rest work from 8 in the morning till 5 how they do that work you know what that muscles are from work not from workout that's a different strength altogether that's what god is basically talking about it physically mentally mental strength we can mentally we learn how to work so that when god gives us his god appointed god appointed job for each one of us we succeed and we don't end up a failure okay and then another thing as we continue another thing which we connected with that we looked and i will just digress a little there and then come to today's topic is this <clears throat> remember life on earth in this body life on earth this life not the next one this life is defined by more than anything else by one thing it is time a time is coming when there will be no time Remember, a time is coming when there will be no time. If I am right in KJV version, not not in KJV or other KJV version, if I am right, it is Revelation ten and verse six. I hope I am right. Ten six scripture says KJV, okay, not in KJV. It says, I know you'll also see it in Revelation twenty two when the eternity begins. And swear by him that lives forever and ever who created heaven and the things that are in the earth the things that are in the sea and the things which are therein that there should be time no longer time a time is coming when there will be time no longer revelation 22 you will see you don't have to turn there but you will see there's no sun there is no moon the glory of the city christ himself was the light of the city So we are moving slowly but firmly to a time when there is no time. Therefore the greatest gift we have today which we will never again experience even in the next life is time. There won't be any time there as we experience it today. Therefore remember this always remember this when I give you my time I am giving you my life because this life is counted or measured in time therefore you value time if i spend or you i'm just using i here i spend time with you i am giving you a gift that can be given only to you that is how you value time time is only in this life it's a greater gift than heaven can give if i give you in human terms 5 minutes of time in heaven in the next life if i give shrikar 5 minutes of time it won't be subtracted because there is no time on earth 
if I give Shrikar five minutes of time, that five minutes is gone from my life. I have given him five minutes of my life. That's how we have to learn to value time. Remember, God has no time. Only when he came in flesh, he stepped into time. So today, today, when I spend ten minutes or one hour or two hours in the presence of God, I gave him two hours of my life, but he did not lose any time from his life. He did not lose any time from his life because he doesn't live in time. He loses no life to fellowship with me. However, you and I give our time and our life to fellowship with him or with someone else. Therefore, when you ask somebody or you ask me for 10 minutes of my time, 30 minutes of my time, you are asking for 10 minutes or 30 minutes of my life. And when I give you 30, I'm speaking to you now primarily and it applies to every one of us. When you, I'm speaking to you as a pastor. So when you say, pastor, can I meet you? And I say, yes, I will meet you. What time can you come? I will always ask you. Okay, this is the only only person in your life who will ask you what time, what day is convenient. Your doctor doesn't ask you that. Does he? He said, this is the time I am free. You take leave and come if you want to. Your boss doesn't say that. Nobody in in your secular world will say that except strangely, the man of God has to make it convenient for you And then when you keep that person waiting, what happens? I mean, I don't lose because I will always get engaged in something else. But I want you to understand this as a principle. Whenever you make make somebody wait, you are taking their time and therefore you are taking their life. 30 minutes of their life, which you can never compensate. It's gone. It's gone. Okay. Remember that. Always remember that. It doesn't apply to God. You see, if I have to give Shrikar, Shrikar says, Pastor, can I meet you for 30 minutes? I have to take 30 minutes from the rest of humanity and give it to Shrikar. When God says, I want to spend 10 minutes with me, he doesn't have to take his time out from anybody else. He can also at the same time give 10 minutes to everybody else if they want. Understand the limitations of time in this life and young people, older people, value time, value, because that's the greatest gift that God has given you and me on earth. So as we grow older, when you, when you get to my age or maybe before that, I hope you will understand how much you will value time, value time. So choices, these are all connected. Choices, discipline, work, job, time, they are all related. They are all, they are all connected. All connected. That's why the writer of Ecclesiastes Solomon will say, there is a time for everything under the sun. What does it mean? Prioritize. We have to learn to work. Then when we get on our jobs, we get our jobs, we have fine purpose, we have to learn to prioritize. Last Sunday, when I was talking about work and the kind of things we did as young people, we're taught to do everything. But today, I don't have to do anything. 
of that sort. Why? Because today I realize my time today is more valuable and more precious. So what do I do? I or my wife will employ others to do the same stuff which I did in my young days because I realize it's much cheaper to employ somebody else because my time now is more more precious now than to do the same thing. Understand, that's how it happens. You have to understand that. If you are the CEO of a company and you got your, your every minute counts, you are not going to sweep your house, swap your house, wash your clothes because you are wasting your time. Are you getting what I am saying? That's how you prioritize. You have to put value on your time. And you realize, you know what? Cut this out, cut this out, cut this out. It can all be given to others because now you are realizing time is limited, time is valuable, time is precious. It's better to employ this one and pay him this to do that than I myself do it because that's how you make best use of the time you have. And you will have to make these choices as you grow older and God puts more and more and more and more burden in your lives, in your hearts because you have to prioritize time. Doesn't come back. Okay, remember, it doesn't come back. Time never comes back. So as young people, don't waste time. In life, one of the things which you will learn as you grow older, there are plenty of people whom I call time wasters. No. They can waste, sit and talk nonsense for hours. Walk away. Don't waste your time. There are times when you should have some light conversation and all, but you can't go on for hours. No, walk away. Otherwise, it will become your habit too. Don't. Choose if you have a company, choose company that values time. And you will maximize that time by having conversations that edify you, stimulate your intellect, your soul, your spirit, then sit there and talk about fashions and movies and music. Leave, walk away. Engage in games, even games, that stimulate your mind and your senses, than which is a total waste of time. Total waste of time. But the, all that for seasons. Okay, nobody is here going to be a professional footballer or cricketer. I don't see that anywhere here. Not going to happen. Why? Why do I say? Because most of you are teenagers. I still don't see discipline. If you don't have the discipline to be a professional footballer by the age of 15, you will never be. Never be. By the age of 15, if you are not disciplined to become somebody at the top of the rung in a professional sports field, then you might must have incredible talent. That happens once in a lifetime. One Maradona, one Pele comes once in a lifetime. That wasn't discipline, that was talent. Okay, so, dreams should die first. Before vision will appear. Okay? If you go to California, if you go to Hollywood, you will see tens and thousands and thousands of young people, young men, young women, serving in the bars, serving in all kind of jobs, just making out a living, many going into drug abuse, prostitution. They all left their homes with a dream of being a music star or a Hollywood star. Thousands and thousands and thousands. 
saw that celluloid and said, I will also be. Con artists were there waiting for them, said, yes, you come, we will cut before you know their lives are gone. They cannot go back home. They have no homes. They have no faces. Nothing left. They live, die like that, unknown. So remember this. Don't waste your time dreaming about stupid things. Put God first, the kingdom first, pursue righteousness. Everything will start following. So today, connected with all the things we have looked at, we looked at work, job, labor, time, discipline, Yoke, everything. Today we are going to look at something else. And I want to read from the Kicking James Version. This is Solomon. King Solomon. The so-called wisest, most foolish man who ever lived. You know, wisest in terms of knowledge, foolish in terms of practice. Okay, he wrote so many proverbs, everything. But finally he writes the book of Ecclesiastes, 12 chapters. He had everything life could offer. Then he ends up with this conclusion in the final chapter. In Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13 and 14, he says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. After all his pursuit... This old broken king has this last words to tell us. Very powerful, very wise words. Not just from gathering knowledge, but experience. He finally says, let us hear the counts, hear the conclusion of the whole matter. He says, I I am somebody God gave wisdom and resources without measure and have tried it out, everything. And finally, in my old age, I have reached the final conclusion of life on earth. He says, it is this, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Today, there are different things for a child of God that might motivate. Discipline can motivate. Automatically discipline comes. There are many, many, many disciplined men in the world. Many, many disciplined men in the world. How many of you, I think I've said it in one message years back. How many of you have heard about Chitaranjan? Chitaranjan, locomotives. Chitaranjan, locomotive factory, right? Chitaranjan was a great Indian scientist, engineer. And the Chitaranjan locomotive factories in West Bengal are named after him. But he studied in Germany. And he saw the precision and the discipline of the Germans. And he came back like them. So they said, all his neighbors used to say, you could set your clock by that man. He was never late. So you can have be a secular person and absolutely disciplined in other areas. Okay. So discipline can be a very, very powerful motivating factor. That's what they do in the army. Discipline. Work can be a very powerful motivating factor. Faith can be a very powerful motivating factor. By faith, by faith, by faith. Where faith fails, scripture is very clear. Love can be even more powerful motivating factor. Scripture says God so loved the world. Love is a very, very Powerful motivating factor. But there is one more. There are 
among many, there is one more powerful motivating factor. And today I want to talk about that. Today, can I have that verse back? This. No, 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 no. The same one. Ecclesiastes, yes. Is the whole duty of man. I want to talk about duty. We have forgotten what our duty is. We don't even know what duty is. Often you will hear people say, and we ourselves have gone through this, I don't enjoy reading my Bible anymore. I don't enjoy praying anymore. I don't enjoy coming to church anymore. I don't enjoy witnessing anymore. I don't enjoy going to work anymore. I don't enjoy cooking for my husband anymore. I don't enjoy disciplining my children anymore. So many. You can you can add your own. I'll give you the fill in the blanks. You can fill it. What is yours? But like they say in English, it is here where the men are separated from the boys. A day will come or will keep coming in everyone's life when there is no longer excitement in it. But you do it. Not because you want to do it, but because you know it is your duty to do it. That is the day you actually mature in your Christian life. Faith and feelings are not the same. So many believers are feeling based. But duty is never based on feelings. Duty is a forgotten word in the modern generation. What is the difference between success and failure in the kingdom of God? Simple. Duty. Many of the things great men did in the Bible, they did it because they knew, after a point of time, they knew they were supposed to do them. Not often, because they wanted to do them. At the flesh level, everyone is the same. After Adam till the last man, everyone is the same at the flesh level. It is not that a more disciplined man has a better flesh. No. He's got a more disciplined flesh. That's all. But at the flesh level, everybody is the same. The disciplined man, the indisciplined man, neither wants to get up in the morning. But one does. The other doesn't. Why? Because he knows duty calls. He knows duty calls. From little things to big things, we need to have that we have instilled a sense of duty. See, when you are in the secular job and uh, all the rules are laid, incentives are there, loss is there, we automatically get a sense of duty. Because you know, if I don't go, I may lose my job. Or if I go, I may get a promotion. But we are not talking about any of those things in the kingdom. I'm talking here about the kingdom. 12.30 is talking about fearing God and obeying His commandments. This is my duty. Fearing God and obeying His commandments, it's my duty. It's not talking about faith. It's not talking about love. It's not talking about anything else. It's saying, it's my duty. We don't pick and choose commandments. God is basically saying, 
I want to see if you will do what you should because he loves me, because he fears me. Remember both, okay? Not because it makes him tingle. Not because he enjoys it. Not because it is delightful. But because he loves me and because he fears me. A Christian whose character is being built keeps on doing it. Why? Because he knows it is his duty. One day God says, Holy Spirit, make it fun for him. And a day will come when you will enjoy doing what is your duty. It's your duty. Duty has got nothing to do with whether you like it or not. It's because you know there is somebody above you and you fear him, you respect him, you love him, but more than you love him, you fear him. And you do it. As simple as that. I will use only personal examples so that which I can relate to. You see, every year when I was small, we came down to India, Kerala for vacations. Now, even my wife won't believe it that it was true for me one day, okay? Once upon a time. When I came to Kerala, when we went to eat lunch, dinner, everything was mallu, okay? Coconut, 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 coconut. And I hated it. I would fuss. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. And then my father comes to sit. He looks at me like this. Everything disappears. I didn't like any of those things then at all. But you know, you suddenly realize it was your duty to eat. Whether you liked it or not. Now you ask me, you cannot separate me from those things. I love my duty. I said, I said, bring it on. Which is true. You all will think, I am telling you, children can be trained easily. You give them bitter God when they are small and tell them, I am not asking you whether you like it or not. It's good for you and you will eat. Give it them for six months. They will say, I love it. They love it. They will. I'm telling you. The thing is that we don't realize the power of duty. When duty comes, there are no choices. Keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Do you think you can pick and choose the commandments of God? No. But you can train yourself. If you are young in the Lord, you came to the Lord young, you can train yourself to see what? This is my duty. And I will choose to obey it. I will choose. It's not that I like it. No. But a time will come when you will love it. What God needs is a generation of young people who will say, I will do what I ought to do, whether I like it or not. Because it's my duty. Homes are built and sustained by those who know their duty. Who know their duty. My father is dead. And gone, so he'll forgive me for sharing this. I'm sure he's, he's saved, so he's there, he will forgive me. You see, you have heard about my father, one side you have heard, he was an incredible man. Simple, disciplined, righteous man in his own ways. But he was alcoholic. When he was sober, he was the best man to be around. When he was alcoholic, you didn't want to be near him, especially my mother. So you see, my mother went through incredible physical abuse physical abuse. Both sides of it, I see her and him. 
Whatever abuse she went through, which was for years and years and years together, my father never went hungry for breakfast, lunch or dinner. He always got the way he liked it. It was there ready for him because she knew her duty. And circumstances did not determine her duty. It's not that, okay, you were nasty to me, you beat me up last night, you go make your own breakfast. Never happened with him. Never, ever happened with him. You understand the power of duty? Because that's how a generation was trained. Duty comes before self. It comes over and above everything else. Okay. It's so difficult for a new generation because everyone is looking for us. Okay, if I'm not having my way, I'm, I'm quitting this marriage. I'm going out. I'm going out. You find your own way because I, I, it's about me and my life. Homes are built not on this romance. No. Homes are built when everybody understands this is my duty. And I'm duty bound. Because there will be bad days, worse days, but you made a covenant. When worse days come, I'm not quitting. And I will still continue to do the things which I have to do. You don't pick and choose. You don't pick and choose. Understand these things, young people. There are so many things that motivate. If you're working for an organization, a secular organization, so what? Your boss is mad at you every day. But you don't quit until God tells you to quit. You go back to your workplace and still give your best. Why? Because you are a believer and you know that is my duty expected from me by my God. Duty comes above self and above feelings. We need to understand how the kingdom of God is built. Churches are built by those who know and do their duty. It's not built by others. It's simply built by those very few people in every church who are duty bound. They know. Duty bound. Great pastors, great preachers are not found behind the pulpit. No. They are found in their study. They have a schedule. You go look back, anybody they will say in the old times who are great, you will see they were not great because they preached. They were great because they were found doing their duty at their study. They had a schedule. Do you have a schedule? Do you have a schedule? If you have a schedule, it doesn't matter how tired you are, how late you go to sleep, at that appointed time your eyes will click open because you have a schedule and you know you are duty bound. And after that you lie there, you will be restless because you know, you know, people like Charles Wesley, I mean, John Wesley and Charles Wesley, when they grew older in their 80s, they overslept five minutes, they were so miserable because they said we lost five minutes of our life to serve God. We are shirking on our duty. Today 50 minutes, one hour 50 minutes, it doesn't make any difference in the prime of our youth. These are men of God. You see scripture says, Jesus set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. 
when it was very clear that he needs to go to Jerusalem, be arrested, be whipped and be crucified to go to the cross. Nobody could discourage him, dissuade him from the cross. Do you think it was just love? Do you think it was just faith? Or do you think it was also his incredible sense of duty? You see, in the KGV version, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter gives the address to the people in Acts chapter 2, in verses 22 and 23 he says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as you yourself also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God you have taken. What does it say? He was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Have you ever thought about it? That there was a time, like human terms, a point in eternity when the eternal committee met. I don't know who were all in the committee, but I definitely knew the Father, the Son and the Spirit was there. And they discussed the creation of man and the subsequent fall of man and the redemption of man. All was discussed. And in that determinate counsel of God on that day, the plan was that the second person of the Trinity, he was not called the Son of God then, he was the second person of the Trinity, he offered himself as the sacrifice in the determinate counsel of God. There was no way after that Jesus was going to be persuaded away from the cross. He knew it was his God-given duty to die. Now, of course, the second person of the Trinity has come as the only begotten Son of God. And he knew it was his duty to obey the will of his Father. What God was teaching Abraham too was that it's your duty to obey me and obey me fully. It's not feelings. He obeyed partially, took his Father with him and then he wouldn't obey God. He forgot his duty. He says, it's your duty. He took his nephew with him and forgot the whole counsel of God, the whole duty of man. His feelings took over when his duty was to throw Ishmael out. And finally, he rises up to a man who would understand what his duty was on Mount Moriah. When he takes Isaac and binds him onto the altar and raises his knife, he fears God. He fears God and he knows it is his duty to obey the command of God. Doesn't matter how displeasing it is to his senses and his mind and his feelings. And therefore in Genesis 12, 22 and verse 12, God says, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him for now I know you fear God. You fear God. Isn't that what Solomon said? This is the whole duty of man to fear God and obey his commands. And here is a man up there. It's an incredible scene on earth. As all of heaven is watching. A young strong son who knows it is his duty to obey his father and allow himself to be bound and if possible or if needed be killed. It's an old father who lifts the knife knowing it is his duty to obey his God. And three days journey away is an old woman, probably on her knees, who has released her only son 
knowing it is her duty to obey her husband. You know the power of duty? One day we will realize in heaven that the price or the crown is not to the talented. It is not to the good looking. It is not to the learned. It is not to the powerful or even the dynamic. It is to the one who says, I will do what I am supposed to do. I am bound by my oath to duty. The first 17 years of his life, Joseph had learned to walk before his father Jacob. He knew what his duty was before his father's eyes. Therefore, the next 13 years, he walked in the absence of his father, the same path, because he knew what his duty was, even in Egypt. In an absolutely Gentile atmosphere, carnal atmosphere, he absolutely knew what his duty was, because he walked before his father 17 years. Do we know our duty? Do we have to be reminded by God, do you know this is your duty? There were two great people in British military history who defeated Napoleon. One was Duke of Wellington, the other was Lord Nelson, Admiral Nelson. Duke Wellington, who actually defeated Napoleon the second time, or if I'm right, the first time, said these words. There is little in life worth living, but to go straight forward and do our duty. In a very tough battle, he told his soldiers, stand steady lads, think of what they will think of us in England. And his soldiers replied, never fear sir, we know our duty. That's how the battle was won. The other person who defeated Napoleon was even more greater, Admiral Nelson, because Duke of Wellington came from a very noble family, Admiral Nelson, if you know your history, you're young men, please read biographies and histories of great men. Don't read the junk you get in the market today which just makes people rebels. Books, music, movies, tuned to create rebels, not like the old books where they taught you courage, chivalry, boldness, sacrifice, all the noble virtues were there in the old books because that's how the youth was trained. If you picked a book to read, you knew it was good. And read about the great men and see what frame. Lord Nelson was from a simple family unlike Duke of Wellington. At the age of 12, he joined the Navy as an ordinary seaman. Apprentice at the age of 12. When he died, he was the admiral of the fleet. And one thing you need to realize something about, the admiral of the fleet that defeated Napoleon was seasick all his life. Can you think about it? You are traveling in a ship all your life and you are seasick. Yet he knew his duty was to puke and fight and not quit. Those were the kinds of men who framed the ancient world because they knew what her duty was. Do you know what his most famous words were when he defeated Napoleon in the final battle? He told his soldiers, England expects every man to do his duty. At the Battle of Trafalgar where he defeated Napoleon, he raised the banner. He literally raised the banner. On the banner it was written so that his men could see these words. Not glory, not victory, not honor, not even country, but duty. 
don't forget and one of the stories says he was shot through the neck in the final battle as he was lying lying and dying there was another soldier dying beside him he wanted a drink of water when they brought the water he said give him his need is greater and they said his last words he uttered before he died was his i have done my duty praise god for it and he died when the news reached england king george the 3rd the king was supposed to have burst into tears and said we do not know whether we should mourn or rejoice the country has gained his greatest most splendid victory but at a what a great price i have lost nelson this were men who knew duty defined their life more than anything else the kingdom of god is built by men and women who know god has put a duty over them and that will when they die they should also say i thank god i did your duty on calvary 2000 years ago another banner was raised not glory not victory not honor not even country but duty oh lord it is finished i've done my duty now father i commit my spirit into thy hands one great man said duty determines my schedule and my schedule determines my duty let me ask you what determines your schedule what determines your schedule our problem we struggle is we have no sense of duty and if we do it we want to be complimented for doing our duty right you want to be complimented for doing wow did you see pastor i came to church at 9 today that was your duty i came to church on wednesday that was your duty that's what you signed up for when you got baptized you see we want faith why because without faith it is impossible to please god the problem is not loving god with feelings but pleasing god scripture is very emphatic on this it is impossible to please god without faith but we do not know faith and duty are interrelated interrelated you cannot take faith and duty apart they are conjoined twins There were interesting conversations Jesus had with his disciples. You have to study it chronologically. You will see it's very interesting. Because Jesus is teaching his disciples. In Luke 14, when the crowd start following him, we don't have to turn there, but he speaks about the cost of discipleship. And ends up with this phrase, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, it is useless. It cannot be even used as manure. He says you can only trample upon it. And he's talking about people who have lost their saltiness. In Luke 15 he gives the three parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin and the parable of the lost son. In 16 he talks about the smart, the shrewd, clever manager, basically telling us a lesson, one who is faithful in little things also can be counted to be faithful in much things and we talked last Sunday about little things. Then he talks about hell, rich man Lazarus. But in Luke 17 suddenly he talks about causing others to sin. 
and about forgiving a brother who keeps on coming back and saying sorry. When he says all these things, his disciples suddenly say something. They say, Lord, increase our faith. What do they say? Increase our faith. How many of you want your faith increased? Nobody wants hallelujah. Nobody wants to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. How many of you want your faith increased? Okay. Like you, the disciples also told Jesus, increase our faith. You know, the parable he is taught is incredibly stunning. They are asking about faith. He's talking about something else. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. But how does that faith come? Listen. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper, gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink. Got it? You have a servant, he's been working in the field the whole day and five o'clock he comes home tired, you also come tired. What are you going to say? Oh poor you, come, come, you sit down, I will serve you. No, he says, go cook my dinner and serve me. And after that, you can go eat. Okay. Prepare something for my supper, gird yourself, serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants, we have done what was our duty to do. That's how faith comes. First understand what your duty is. I don't need to be complimented for studying the word of God because that is my duty. I don't need a pat on the back to wake up at four in the morning because that is my duty. And after I have finished preaching to the ends of the world, I should be still be able to say before God, what I did was my duty. I am still an unprofitable servant. God says faith will arise. First know your duty, then faith will come. Do we understand what duty is? Do we understand that we serve a God who owns everything? The very life we have, he has given to us as a gift. Everything belongs to him. And we don't need to be complimented for doing anything for him. It is our duty to serve him, to obey him, to obey everything that he commands. What was their prayer? Increase our faith. Look at word 7. Which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep? Let's say, imagine you worked six days and on Saturday you had to work till nine in the night. And then Sunday you come to church and you expect God to say, wow, you came to church on Sunday? What are you supposed to say? I'm an unprofitable servant. I'm just doing my duty. Because to be in your house on Sabbath is my duty which you have commanded. And all that I did in the six days is irrelevant to that. Oh, I am so tired today. I need to go to sleep a little longer. God says, your duty. Get up, get ready, 
be found in the house of God. Did you know it was your duty? Oh, it was a long day at work. Long day. You had a long day. And you will say, you know what? I'm so tired. I'm going to sleep. I'll read my Bible or I'll pray tomorrow. Oh, did he? Really? Really? Did you feed the master? Before you took rest for yourself? We don't understand, do we? You see, Years ago, many years ago when I used to be a civil chaplain with the army. Very interesting, different, different situations you go through and they have this sense of duty. If anybody knows the sense of duty, it's the soldiers. How they will work in the sense of duty. Two interesting situations I will tell you. Once it was Christmas, I was at the garrison preach, I was preaching and the next week was Christmas. One jeep, one javan came and said, sir, our signal regiment is having official Christmas program. Can you come and speak? I said, yeah. So speak. They didn't tell me the details and had no clue what it used to be like to go for an army program. The appointed day, evening, as usual, no, knowing me, knows tie, knows this thing, just same like thing with my bag. I reach the gates of the regiment and I suddenly see something. There's a red carpet from here all the way. All the way. Shamiyanas all put. And the commanding officer who is a full colonel and is two IC standing at the gate to receive me because that's duty in the army. You have been invited as the guest to be the special speaker. And here is the Sadaji with all his, this thing walking beside me. No coat, no tie, nothing. Nothing, they won't even blink. And the two I see is carrying my bag because I'm not allowed to carry my bag because I'm the guest. Walking all the way in step and thousands of Javans and their families all walking down all the way. There. They take me in to the main Shamiana, this thing. That's when God said, speak in Hindi to them, speak to them from their scriptures, from Rig Veda, that I am the one who was supposed to come and I have come other than through the blood. There is no moksha. And I spoke to them. I spoke to them. I said, you all believe Christ, Christianity is a foreign religion. I said, no, it's not. No religion came from the West. Every religion originated in the East. There's no religion from the West. Every religion is from the East. And I said, our saints in India knew about the Son of God coming even before anybody else. I said, in this Veda, in this volume, in this section, it is written. There is only one God. His name is Brahman. Brahman means self-existing one. He will have a son whose name will be Prajapati. Praja means human. Pati means savior. He will come. He will be tied to a tree. His blood shall be shed. Only by partaking that blood there is moksha for men. I said it is written. It has been fulfilled in Christ. After the meeting they mobbed me. They said sir we never heard this. Duty. Understand duty. Another scene completely different. This is in the core headquarters. In the driver's quarters. They have their mess. Many, many drivers. They are all Tamilians, wonderful believers. They have evening service. Evening service means it is in the kitchen where they eat. He will bring his white sheet, put it over the table, two benches, I am in this bench, it has become worship service. We start singing, they are crying, they are worshipping, the Spirit of God is there. I just 
finished. I just finished preaching and I've just said the prayer. There is one whistle in two minutes. They are in the uniform, the guns is built by pastor and they are gone. Duty. Can God call us like that? Can we be duty bound? Understanding we serve the Jehoshaphat, the commander of the armies of God. Awesome God, right? There's a story told by a pastor. He's dead and gone. It's a real story. Very big church, very famous pastor. One day, a very young couple, he met them, he came to their church. Very good looking, handsome couple. They got saved in the service, they got baptized and they started serving in the church. They were model Christians in that church. They started teaching Sunday school. They were there for Sunday service, they were there for Wednesday service, they were there. One Wednesday they were not seen. Then they came again. Then two Wednesdays they were not seen. Soon they were not seen for Wednesday. Then one Sunday they were missing, missing from church. Then one day, Sunday he came back and he said, I'm leaving Sunday school. I believe God is leading me. You know, often people use God's will as a cover to backslide. God never leads you backwards. Remember this. God never ever leads anybody backwards. He leads you forward. He leads you into more into his kingdom. Not into less into his kingdom. He never does. The pastor tried to convince him. said, no sir, don't do it. He said, no, I'm leaving. Here's my letter. And he walked away. He never came back. He says, 22 years later, the pastor had a pile of mail. And he saw one mail. And he saw that name, Paul. He says, Paul, Paul. Paul, Paul, somewhere his mind. And he looked at the side and the address. Left hand corner, he saw it was from a prison. And he opened the letter and he said, Dear Pastor, I hope you remember me. I was I left your church twenty-two years ago and I was active. I got saved there, I got baptized there, I served in your church, and I left. You see, a couple of weeks back, I saw my wife in an intimate position with another man. I went home, I got my gun, and I killed them both. Now I am serving a life sentence in prison. P.S. It all started the day I left church. It all started when? 22 years ago, when I left church. Do you know when you leave where you will be 20 years from now? 15 years from now? Because you forgot when you signed in there was a duty and obligation that was put on you. I will do this. It is expected of me. Do you know when it starts? When you no longer enjoy doing the things which you ought to do. That's when you forget what your duty is. Then remember, I don't like it. But I will do it. Because it's my duty. Otherwise it's a road downhill. It can happen to the greatest of men. 
and it has happened to the greatest of men and women one of the most powerful lines in the bible written is in second samuel chapter 11 verse 1 second samuel chapter 11 and it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that david sent job and his servants with him and all israel and they destroyed the children of ammon and his besieged rabba but david tarried still at jerusalem you see we don't read this we don't read about what happened the victory and all don't read about the battle read read the first part and the second part what is it at that time when kings go to battle david tarried still at jerusalem what was his duty what was expected of him as a king his duty was to lead his men to battle what did he do he stayed at what happens later lying adultery murder deception and his soul's mayhem in his family and his israel because at this hour he forgot his duty don't forget your duty don't forget your duty do we know what our duty is do we know what our duty is are we duty bound jesus was the apostles were they knew what their duty was they wouldn't back off from their duty all the examples so far we used is in the old testament but new testament when jesus talks is beyond duty right it's beyond duty why old testament is the law and your duty bound new testament is grace we go beyond duty and jesus introduces the new covenant attitude in matthew 5 and verse 41 whoever compels you to go one mile go with him you know what they say it in modern english to go beyond the call of duty republic day august 26 uh, august 15 and january 26 two days and us their different days other countries different days when they give these medals to those who died in battlefield paramvir chakra or medal congressional medal of honor in us and all you read the citation i can tell you of almost everyone what will be written is one line along with the others this jawan this officer went beyond the call of duty and died for the nation if the people in the old testament were bound by duty the people under the new covenant who experiences grace are people who go beyond the call of duty beyond the call of duty beyond the call of duty if old testament saints could be duty bound and be acclaimed how much more we who live under grace to whom much is given much is required we've been given grace and grace in abundance do you remember david and goliath why should a young man stand up to fight what is his answer to his brothers and the soldiers is not there cause he says i am duty bound to fight the enemies of israel if there is nobody i am willing to fight duty bound 
Where was Goliath from? He was a Philistine from the place of? My encyclopedia Vijay is not here. Where is he from? Gath. Very good. Gath. Okay. He was from Gath. He was called Goliath of Gath. We don't know how it happened because scripture is very silent about it. We only know somewhere during that process from Goliath is defeated by David and the subsequent 12, 13, 14, 15 years, I don't know how many years he ran from King Saul, spent a season among the Philistines, becomes king of Israel. Suddenly you will see he has 600, by the time he's 60 years old and Absalom takes over, he has 600 Philistines who are his personal bodyguards. Have you ever thought of it? The king of Israel's bodyguards are 600 Philistines led by Ittai, the man from Gath. The man from Gath. Strange. Very strange. Here is the greatest king of Israel and his personal bodyguards are not Jews. They are Gentiles. Absalom has taken over. David is leaving Jerusalem because he doesn't want bloodshed because it's within the family, within the kingdom. He is leaving. And when he is leaving, he tells those who are accompanying him in 2 Samuel, you will see interesting as he is leaving, then all his servants pass before him and all the Cheritites and all the <coughs> Pelotites and all the Gittites, 600 men who had followed him from Gath, pass before the king. Pass before the 600 men. And he tells the leader, the king said to Ittai, the Gittite, who is the leader, why are you also going with us? He says, why do you want to come with us? You are a Philistine. Maybe you joined me when I was in good times because mercenary. You were a mercenary. You joined because I probably was willing to pay you more. So you joined me. But now I have lost. I am running. You have a better deal on that side why are you running with me? You are not Hebrew. You are not from Judah. You are not a, you are a Gentile. He says, why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king. There is another king there. For you are a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. You can't go back to Gath. But the Philistines will kill you because you have been with me all this year. So why don't you do, your better deal is go to Absalom. In fact, you came only yesterday. He says, you are a very recent recruit. Should I make you wander up and down with us today? Since I go, I know not where. Return, take your brethren back. Mercy and truth be with you. He says, I thank you all these years you are with me. You are the latest among this. He says, you are. Why do you want to come with me? Go back. Go to Absalom. Mercy and truth. I appreciate. But Ittai answered the king and said, As the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my Lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. What is he saying? Your majesty, we are your bodyguards. Whether you are in the throne in Jerusalem or wandering in the wilderness of Mahanim, whether you are popular with the people or unpopular with the people, we are bound by duty to go with you and guard you with our lives. Where you go, we go in life or death. The throne in Jerusalem is empty now. The Jews to whom he came has rejected Christ. 
the big churches who received him for many centuries have already rejected the true Christ. All that is left for Christ today are the Gentiles who have received him. They show more passion and more loyalty and they are more duty bound than most Christians I see who have grown up in Christian homes because they are like Itai the Gittite. I am with you Lord Jesus wherever you are. Whether you are popular in the school or unpopular in the school, it doesn't matter. In life or death, I will stand up for you. In my office, in my college, in my university, wherever you are me, Lord, I know you are not popular. You are not popular, but I know my duty. I signed in to protect you, your name, with my life. If I am the last one who will be your testimony, then so it be it be. I will be the last one. Are we duty bound? Will we go beyond the call of duty? Will we go beyond the call of duty? He's not at all popular today. Anywhere, Christ is not popular anymore. To stand with him, it could cost you your life in today's world. But do we know our duty to our king? Will we go beyond the call of duty? That's what I said. Every medal given to those people posthumously, Paramvir, Chakra, whatever you get, it will be written. Citation will be written. This man went beyond the call of duty. Itai the Gittite, a reason convert to David's when Judah has abandoned him, when the eleven tribes, other tribes of Israel has abandoned him, one Gentile with 600 of his men says, my king, we live or die with you. We are bound by duty. Our loyalty is with you. Where does our loyalty lie? As I come to the conclusion, today is September the 18th, right? Yes, September the 18th. If I'm right, 15 years and 7 days ago. Last Sunday, I forgot. Only when I was in the car back, I realized this. Last Sunday was September the 11th. 9-11. You know 9-11, right? 9-11. What happened on 9-11? Human history, modern history changed after 9-11. 15 years ago. 15 years and one week ago. 9-11 is the Twin Towers, the tragedy, the terrible attack on U.S. soil. 2,996 people died on that day because of that attack. You will never, probably never heard the names Peter J. Gansi, William M. Feehan, Gansi was 54, Fihan was 72, Ronald Paul was 47, and Michael Judge was 68. I'm just reading four names. Do you ever hear these names? Peter Gansi, William Fihan, who's 72, was 72, Ronald Paul, 47, and Michael Judge, if I'm right, 68. On that day, among those who died were 343 firefighters, 60 police officers, Eight emergency paramedics. Peter Dejansi was the chief of New York Fire Department. Age 54. William Feehan was 72, commissioner of New York Fire Department. Ronald Paul, 47, 
was the third highest marshal of the New York Fire Department and Michael Judd 68 was the chaplain of New York Fire Department they were so high up there they did not if they chose they did not have to die in the line of duty they chose to go beyond the call of duty and die trying to rescue the people trapped what were they doing they were trying to save as many lives possible even at the risk of their own from the fire one day there will be a roll call of honor in heaven and names will be called of those who went beyond the call of duty those who risked their own lives to save others from eternal fire the 15th anniversary these names were there and read it's another roll call going to be that is not from a earthly man made fire it will be the names of those who risk their own lives to save others from eternal fire they knew once they were saved once they had surrendered and knew they were unprofitable servants they knew what was the will and the command of their master and they were willing to go beyond the call of duty isn't that what jesus said in luke 17 okay mark matthew 25 yeah luke 17 verse 10 yes you can have that before the previous one so likewise when you have done all those things which you are commanded say we are what unprofitable servants on earth after we have done everything just stand before god and say lord i have just done my duty i'm just an unprofitable servant on that day when he calls your name what will he say matthew 25 and verse 23 his lord said to him well done good and faithful servant you have been faithful over a few things i will make you ruler over many things enter into the joy of your lord if you do not consider yourself an unprofitable servant now and continue in your line of duty he cannot say to you and me then you were a profitable servant enter into my joy what do we see ourselves as what do we see they knew who they were do we know who we are in the kingdom Romans 16:1 The King James version says Romans 16:1 KJV Let's have care I come unto you Phoebe our sister Who is what is she which is a servant of the church which is in Chinchuria Can you be commended Can you be commended I come Paul is commenting a sister in the church he says I commend to you who Phoebe our sister what is she a servant of the church in Chinchuria 
Can you be commended? She knew. Phoebe knew who she was. She knew she was an unprofitable servant. And she knew her line of duty in the church. Can you be commended? In Colossians 4 and verse 12, Ephaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, salutes you. He's commending people. How do we want to be commended? I commend Ephaphras, the wonderful worship leader. Did he say? I commend Timothy, the great preacher. Did he say? How are they commended in the new covenant? You read through scripture carefully. How are they commended? Their first commander of the fact they knew who they were in the kingdom. I am a servant of Christ. And therefore, they were duty bound. You could depend upon them in fair weather or rough weather, in good times or bad times, when there was trouble in the church or when there was no trouble in the church. You could count on them because they were duty bound. Can we be counted? In Titus 1.1, Paul, a servant of God. And then apostle. Apostle is a different thing. If you are not a servant, you will fail as an apostle. If you are a servant, you will succeed in everything. Anything. If you are not a servant, if you you have the anointing of an apostle, you will fail. Because ultimately you will end up serving yourself. In James 1.1, like we heard yesterday. Okay, you had 2nd Peter? Okay, that's fine. Second Peter, one one, Simon Peter, a bond servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Why didn't he say chief shepherd, chief of the apostles? He didn't say anything. He didn't say. He said bond servant. James one one, what does he say? James. Why didn't he say James, the brother of Jesus, half brother of Jesus? I am the half-brother. If I want to pull rank, I can pull rank. You knew him for three and a half years. I knew him for a long time. You can talk about his testimony in the world. I can talk about his testimony in the home. I am his brother. No. A servant of the Lord. Jesus Christ. Jude 1.1 one, one. Jude, a bond servant of Jesus. He won't even say brother of Jesus. He say brother of James. He's the brother of James, Jesus, but he won't say brother of Jesus, he will say brother of James. That's where it begins. Servants know their duty. They know their duty. Do we know our duty in the kingdom of God? Do we know? And after everything is done, do we wait for a commendation? Or do we know, Lord, that was my duty. Thank you, Lord, for giving an opportunity to serve you. I expect nothing, because you have given me everything. Everything that I have has to come back to you, because it belongs to you anyway. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's how God's servants are formed. So remember this. Discipline. Will, choices, work, job, time. And today you heard on duty bound. We are duty bound. And we shall be duty bound. If you know what your duty is, you don't have to be reminded over and over and over again. Just do it. Just do it. 
And have a schedule. Young people, have a schedule in your life. Have a schedule in your life. Don't be so unpredictable that even God doesn't know what you will do tomorrow. You should have a schedule. Because you are stealing somebody else's time otherwise. Your company is paying for your time. Even if it's a secular company. He's paying for your time. He's paying you for that. And don't steal your time. When you come to church or anything that's got to do with you all your life, don't steal time. Don't steal somebody else's time. Because that is life. These things don't happen overnight. This doesn't come as a gift. This is practice day by day by day by day. You didn't have the honor or my privilege to be born as a principal's son who had the incredible privilege of ringing the first bell and the second bell every day for four years. Oh, you have no idea what joy it gives to an eight-year-old boy to ring the bell because there are 400 kids on the playground and their life is in your hands. Ding! They have to run. There is no time in the city, in the little town, only one clock and one watch. Two watches. My mother has one, my father has one, one clock. And my father will say, ten minutes more, run and go for the first bell. When they see me running from the house, everybody wants to ring the bell. When they see me running for the bell, other fellow takes it and starts running. So what do you do? You hide the hammer next time. Because you want to it. Still doesn't work. Next day that fellow tries to ring it with a stone. Because you have no idea the power of time. It controls lives. Time controls lives. So I learned very early about time. Be on time. My God is awesome. He can move the mouth. Keep me in the valley, hide me from the rain. My God is awesome, heals me when I'm broken. Strength where I feel weak, never he will rain. My God is awesome. My God is awesome, awesome. Awesome. Oh, so the second verse. My God is awesome, Savior of the whole world, Giver of salvation. My Christ, I'm here. My God is awesome. Today I am forgiven. His grace is my unlimited. Father, this morning we just we come before you, we stand before you. All of us, Lord, there's so many things to be 
straightened out to be put right in our lives often all our prayers all our dreams are about ourselves very few are connected with you but there is a king and a kingdom that is coming a day that is coming when every knee shall bow every tongue shall confess that Jesus is lord and i pray father we would be those who are privileged to serve you now before your second coming where we serve you with every second of our life in everything that we do that we will know at the end of it we are still unprofitable servants so that we might hear from you one day that we were profitable on earth for you help us to be conscious about our duty in the kingdom of god as servants as sons has daughters for your word says in hebrews 3 moses was found faithful in the whole house of god has a servant but jesus was found faithful in the house of god as a son and we are both sons and servants what you expect of us is even more than what you expected from moses one of us grows older help us to be conscious and value the little time that is left before us before your coming thank you father i bless your people in your name i pray you would strengthen them empower them that they would be strengthened to serve you pray would lift up discouraged hearts and minds heal infirm bodies strengthen weak bodies today minds that are distracted and wanders i pray you will give them focus and abaul stir up us in our spirits that we may serve you and you alone that we know one master one master alone for you said it is not possible to serve two masters meet your people at their point of need of god you know what they lack and you alone are able to supply so we go into another week go before us straighten our crooked paths go with us strengthen us and teach us to walk before you so that we might be blameless in your sight thank you father thank you thank you lord thank you we just lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name
We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us.